Heavenly Army of Angels. What and who are the angels? St. Thomas Aquinas is so outstanding. The Lord has given him the ability to take very complex matters, such as the differences between animal, human, and angel, and break them down into logical, extremely understandable terms. He was particularly enraptured by angels, as are we. He made a study of them. I have to believe he got a lot of help in his research from the angels themselves in the form of angelic inspiration or possibly by a direct line. We pray they will be as kind to us as we try to explain their culture and their role in salvation history in general and in our lives more specifically. Strangely enough, it's easier to salute their power and accomplishments than it is to actually explain them. However, we have an urgency to try. We want you to feel as strongly about them, as close to them as we do, and as in love with them as we are, so you can take advantage of the dominance the Lord has given them on our behalf. They're just waiting for you to ask them to use their strength for you. Sometimes they don't even wait for you to ask. You know, when something wonderfully impossible has happened to you, it's usually the work of your angels. If ever there was a time when we needed the angels, it's now. The angels were an immediate creation of God in his image and likeness. The main purpose of their existence is to love and serve God in heaven as ours is to love and serve God on earth. In addition, God has given them a whole list of other jobs to perform. In essence, they are contemplatives in action. The work they do on behalf of the world and humanity is really an outpouring of the love that comes from being in the beatific vision of God. Angels are not human. They are actually superior to men. They might be our big brothers. Scripture tells us we are a little less than the angels. In question 50 of his Summa Theologica, Thomas Aquinas gives us an understanding of the substance of angels by categorizing the different degrees of existence of all creatures. He breaks creation down into three groupings, animal, human, and angelic. Animal is completely body. Human is a mixture of body with something extra added, a spirit. Angels are pure spirit, without body at all. Pure spirit are the key words here. Because the angels are pure, they are not corrupted by matter. Therefore, they can't die or decay, or do anything else that results from being made of matter, like animals and humans. Also, they're not dependent on matter of any kind for their existence. They don't need food to eat, or air to breathe, or water to drink. They are pure. Another exciting thing about the angels is that each one is a unique, one-of-a-kind creation of God, like a snowflake. I used to have a problem with this. I didn't quite understand what I was reading. Penny explained it to me. It meant exactly the same as what we tell people about themselves when we give talks. Each of us is a unique, one-of-a-kind creation of God. There is no person on earth that is quite like the creation you see when you look in the mirror. The same applies to the angels. The only difference is angels don't have to look in mirrors. They are not burdened down with bodies. 
This has been a problem for humans from the earliest days because we need to see angels to understand them and the only way we can see them is if they have bodies. How can we see angels with bodies if they don't have them? It's the same as seeing God the Father as an old man with white hair and a long white beard and brilliant white flowing gown. It's a picture we paint of what God might look like if he were human and had a body. It's really more for our benefit than it is for him. But we say again, scripture talks about Gabriel appearing to Mary and Raphael appearing to Tobias and Isaac wrestling with the angel who may very well have been Michael. They all had bodies. We also talk about images of angels with wings, which have become almost a traditionally accepted form. The most rational explanation for the wings on angels is their ability to be in so many places so quickly they have the speed of winged creatures. While that may be true, we have to explain that that is man's logic, his need to break everything down into a human level, put everything in a box for human understanding. However, it's also putting God in a box, limiting his powers to accommodate our limited intellect. True, God created nature, the laws of nature, and the natural order. It will stand to reason that he would follow the laws he created, and men with wings were not part of what he originally created as far as we know. Nevertheless, something no one wants to come to terms with is that God is God. He is above the laws of nature that he created. If he wants to change the laws of nature or set them aside or do away with them altogether, he can do that. By the same token, if he wants to give angels bodies and put wings on them, for whatever reason, he can. We have to stop trying to bring God down to our level. We were created to glorify God, not to make him our contemporary, our buddy. We should really go with God's program rather than insist on constantly questioning it. Actually, to our way of thinking, our Lord gave us a very special gift by allowing us to become aware of angels in the first place and to see angels in human form in the second place. It's like getting a peek into heaven and things heavenly. If this is what angels can be like, what else is up there that we haven't seen yet and cannot begin to fathom? Angels were created as pure spirits of God. They were immediately giving intellect and knowledge. Nothing happened in degrees. They didn't get a basic understanding and then build from there. There was no 2 plus 2 equals 4. It was all there, whatever the Lord wanted them to know. They never had to reason anything out because there was no need for it. They knew the end of the story right off the bat. They were created with sanctifying grace, but also free will. But let's talk for just a minute about free will. We have always been under the mistaken impression that free will meant we could do whatever we wanted, do our own thing, and to a degree, that's true. But that's only a very small part of it. When we were researching Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen for our book, saints and other powerful men in the church, we discovered that free will is just the beginning of the definition. We are given free will to love and glorify God. And there is the freedom of a total abandonment to God. 
Our free will is the only thing that is really our own. Our health, our wealth, our power, all this God can take from us. But our freedom he leaves to us, even in hell. Because freedom is our own, it is the only perfect gift that we can make to God. As soon as the angels used this sanctifying grace in their first act of charity, which had to be friendship and love of God, they received the beatific vision. After this, they were incapable of sinning because they basked in the presence of God. But prior to this first act of charity, they were capable of sinning. Because they didn't have bodies, there were only two sins they were capable of committing, pride and envy. And those two sins could only be leveled against God, pride that they could be as God, and envy because they could not be God. Lucifer knew that to be equal with God, he would have to be God, and he knew he couldn't be. He wanted to be like God in a way which was impossible, such as creating things on his own power or achieving the beatific vision without God's help or to have power over people and things which was reserved for God alone. He wanted to be a parallel God. These were the sins committed by Lucifer and the fallen angels. From that time on, they were responsible for all sin because they lead men to commit sin. Angels have been given the tools by God to perform for him in whatever way necessary to exalt his holy name. They are sent to minister to his purposes among creatures. There's an important point. We've been saying from the beginning how angels are given great powers to help us through this journey of faith, our pilgrimage of life. They have a forceful influence on us, but none of this is because of anything we've done. The angels are sent to help us because of God's love for us and their love for God and their desire to do anything to give him honor. So when you hear people say, don't be impressed with yourself. God loves you because he loves you, not because of anything you've done to earn it. That's the way it is with the angels. A perfect example of this is how much our guardian angels have to put up with being in our presence 24 hours a day, every day of our lives. They fight with us not to do the things we know we shouldn't do. Very often, when temptation comes and we're either fighting it or considering whether we're going to give in to it, the gnawing in our stomachs is really our angels trying to influence our decision. Since angels are superior to men, they can enlighten us, but they can't act directly on our will. They can't hit us over the head with a two-by-four. Remember seeing cartoons as a young person where the good angel sits on the right shoulder of the character, trying to get him to do good, and the little demon is on the character's left shoulder, trying to get him to do bad? Possibly that's an oversimplification of a fact, but brought down to its common denominator, this is just about what happens. Some of those cartoons were morality plays. Very possibly, the most difficult task for the angels is to have to be present while we're sinning. In the case of guardian angels, after they've lost the battle to get us to do good instead of evil, they have to stay there with us while we do whatever evil temptation we've given into. They must be very hurt, not for themselves, 
but for us and for their God, whom they love so completely. They must also be really upset with the fallen angel who was able to talk us into giving into evil. The good angel is superior to the fallen angel, but we're the determining factor as to who conquers, good or evil. He's dependent on our using the willpower that Lord has given us. The roles of the angels. First off, let's keep in mind that nothing is definite. We will not know the entire story until we have reached the kingdom, and then it won't matter. There have been disputes as to the number and roles of the various choirs of angels. Most have accepted three divisions of three, or a total of nine choirs. But there are those who say that there is another one, and others who maintain the total number is eleven. Then finally, some maintain that we don't know how many there are. They claim there are many, many degrees of angels, whose names we don't know because of a statement made by St. Paul. High above every principality, power, virtue, and domination, and every name that can be given in this age or in the age to come. By this, some theologians and early fathers of the church believed that St. Paul was telling us there were more than had ever been mentioned. However, for our purposes, we will share about the accepted number of angels. There are three divisions of angels called choirs. Seraphim, cherubim, and thrones. Angels of this choir's entire existence consist in solely glorifying, loving, and praising God. This is all they do. Their total energy is focused on praising the Master. They have such an extremely intense relationship with God they don't let anything interfere with their adoration. It's believed that Lucifer or Satan had to be in this choir originally. He was said to be the closest to God, which would have had to be among the first order or rank of angels. Dominations, Virtues, and Powers These angels govern space and the stars. They are responsible for the entire universe. We'd like to insert at this time a true story which you may have read before. It just fits so perfectly with this choir of angels. A very holy lady who has played an important role in our life, Annabelle Joyce from Mission Hills, California, bought a subscription for us to that very special magazine, Soul. We read the following article in their issue dated May-June 1986. Little did we know at that time that someday we will be writing a book on the angels. As we began writing this chapter, the Lord, through his angels, reminded us of this article. We telephoned the Blue Army in Washington, New Jersey, and they generously gave us permission to reprint it. October 22, 1985, an amazing story appeared in Weekly World News. It reported, six Soviet cosmonauts aboard the Salyut 7, orbiting a space station saw seven glowing angels in July of 1985 as their spaceship orbited the Earth. This came to light when a Soviet space scientist defected to the West. He brought with him a top-secret report on the incident. January 4, 1986, in Parade Magazine, a publication which is included with Sunday issues of many newspapers carried the following. 
Best International News. Cosmonauts Vladimir Solebev, Oleg Atkov, and Leonid Kisim say they first saw the celestial beings during their 155th day abroad the orbiting Salyut 7 space station. What we saw, they said, were seven giant figures in the form of humans, but with wings and mist-like halos, as in the classic depiction of angels. What the short account in Parade Magazine didn't mention was that the cosmonauts were performing medical experiments in their cramped quarters when a brilliant orange glow enveloped their craft, leaving them temporarily blinded. After their eyes adjusted to the light, they saw the angels. The cosmonauts said the angels followed their capsule for about 10 minutes and then suddenly vanished. But 12 days later, the glowing figures returned and were seen by additional Soviet witnesses. Cosmonauts Esberlana Savitskaya, Vladimir Hanibevok, and Igor Volk joined the others on Salyut 7. The woman cosmonaut was quoted in the above secret report as saying, We were truly overwhelmed. There was a great orange light, and through it we could see the figures of seven angels. They were smiling as though they shared a glorious secret. But within a few minutes, they were gone, and we never saw them again. The Soviet defector, who has remained anonymous, said his countrymen would prefer to write off the sightings as hallucinations or some form of unexplained natural phenomenon. But the evidence seems to indicate that what they saw was more supernatural than natural. The cosmonauts claimed the angels were so large they had a wingspan as wide as a jumbo jet airplane. They were smiling as though they shared a glorious secret. What was the glorious secret they shared? Was it that Russians would once again be free to worship their Lord and venerate their Mother Mary? Were they smiling because they knew that the people the communists had so long oppressed would be free four years later in December of 1989? Were they smiling because they knew that someday the world's faithful will return to their beliefs in God and the holy angels? Were they smiling because they knew their message will go out to all the world? You are not alone. Our Lord has assigned us to you, and we will be with you till the end. This is such an affirmation for us of the role played by dominions, virtues, and powers. Principalities, archangels, and angels. This is the area of angels who are closest to us. They really take care of us. They are in the front lines of the battlefield, so to speak. Whereas the first group is steadfastly devoted to praising God, and the second group is faithfully concerned with the universe and maintaining the celestial order of things as God created them, this last rung on the ladder are those who are concerned with their inferior cousins on earth, mankind, and if there should be life on other planets, the welfare of its inhabitants as well. They really seem to do all the work. They have to go through all our trials and tribulations with us, our joys and sorrows, our temptations, our illnesses, our clashes with their enemies, the fallen angels. It would appear that the lowest rung of angels are the only ones who have actual contact with their adversaries, the fallen angels of Satan, 
because they are the only ones concerned with men. Our holy angels are also given the task of protecting countries, cities, and churches. He has always been believed that this was so, but the vision of the prophet Daniel was what really affirmed their role. There's also an interesting lesson for us in the happenings of that vision. The nations involved are Israel, Persia, and Greece. We find that Michael is the angel protector of Israel, Gabriel of Greece, and an unnamed archangel, the angel protector of Persia. It was the time of the Persian imprisonment of the Jews. The prophet Daniel beseeched the archangel Gabriel to help in the release of the Jews from the Persians. Gabriel turned the matter over to Michael, and the two solicited the aid of the angel protector of Persia, but he refused. The reason we are giving is that each angel protector was completely involved in the interest of his own country. The angel protector of Persia had noticed how the presence of the Israeli people had changed the Persians, bringing many blessings and conversions to this pagan people. He most naturally wanted to keep the Jews in captivity longer, as this was bringing Persians to God. From his perspective, all he could see was the good being accomplished for his nation by the captivity of the Jews. With regard to angels being protectors of churches, it was logical that if the Lord gave angels the job of protecting nations, they would also have the job of protecting churches. But if there was any doubt to that, it was cleared up by the opening of the book of Revelation, where St. John was directed to address his letters to the angels of the seven churches of Asia Minor. This is the secret meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven lampstands of gold. The seven stars are the presiding spirits, angels, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In Belgium, they claim Michael as the patron saint of their nation. In Portugal, when the angel appeared to the children, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta, he called himself the angel of peace. This is one of the titles given to Michael. In addition, the angel of Portugal is called the angel of peace. In France, in Mont Saint-Michel, a place considered the eighth wonder of the world, the angel Michael came and claimed a forest for his very own. In Italy, the angel Michael claimed a mountain for his own. In the United States, one of her largest cities, Los Angeles, California, is named after the angels and their Queen Mary, La Reina de Los Angeles de la Porciuncola. You might ask, how, if these places are under the protection of the angels, is there so much violence, wars, and terrorism? Again, the gift the Lord has given us of free will. Our guardian angel is always there, as the prayer to the guardian angel says, to light and guard, to rule and guide. But like our gentle Savior, he does not force himself on us. We have to say yes. More dangerous than any spirit or fallen angel is the human who says yes to him. The fallen angels are helpless to do anything without our consent. And so the same applies with the good angels. This is the way God created us and them. It takes a great deal of studying the scriptures, of putting one passage with another, to understand in the slightest bit 
the role and character and number of our cousins, the angels. But we'll never really know any of this, and we shouldn't concern ourselves over who outranks who or who might be more important than another. St. Dionysus, who did extensive study on the angels, wrote, I hold that none but the divine creator by whom they were ordained is able to know fully the number and the nature of the celestial beings and the regulation of their hierarchies. We could not have known the mystery of these super celestial intelligences and all the holiness of their perfection had it not been taught to us by God through his ministers who truly know their own natures. Therefore, we will say nothing as from ourselves, but being instructed, we will set forth, according to our ability, those angelic visions which the venerable theologians have beheld. We should just thank God that he has given us these heavenly relatives to help us get through the pilgrimage of life. St. Therese of Lisieux characterized us as pilgrims in a foreign land, trying to find our way home. The angels are there to guide us in the right direction. Thank you, Lord. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here is how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply, with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store Search for Bob and Penny Lord app and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.